Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my super co-host, the Adam Hawkins. And we're here with a couple other guys we'll introduce here in a second. But first, Adam, I have a super important question for you. If you could have... I'm super excited. If you could have any super power, what would you have? Any super power? I got so excited, I hit the mic. <laughs> um, I, I mean, flying, for sure. Flying. You would fly. That's so yeah. boring. So run-of-the-mill. I'm not trying to save anybody. I just want to fly. David, outdo him, please. We're also here with David Roark. David, if you could have any superpower. Reading minds. You would read minds. Oh, yes. What am I thinking worst. right now? Oh, I would not want Well, I didn't that. say I Think can't of all the minds. dirty things you would have to hear as you walk down the street. <laughs> I can barely stand myself in my own <laughs> but, head. I don't want <laughs> But then couldn't you, you could control everything and everybody. If you well, you control exactly. them or just read their minds? Oh, but if you can read their minds, you know exactly how to manipulate them, right? Okay. We're here with a super expert on superpowers, our friend, Timothy Thomas. <laughs> David, you would be a villain. Uh, Timothy, if you could have any superpower, redeem this conversation. Well, I'm not an expert, okay. but <laughs> definitely invisibility. Invisibility? Because I am an introvert to the max. <laughs> so you, nobody so, could find you. So nobody could find me, but I could still be in the mix. Okay. You know, I like it. And then come in and out whenever I'm I'm ready. Whatever you want to. (laughs) On this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the world of Marvel. Specifically, we're going to talk through that Marvel Cinematic Universe and discuss its cultural and theological implications, which are many. I'm really looking forward to this. Here we go. All right, before we jump all the way in, let's introduce our guest again. He's been on the show recently. He's a good friend of the show, and he's back with us, Mr. Timothy Thomas. Timothy's a longtime member of the Village Church, public school teacher, coach, regular writer for publications like Christ in Pop Culture, and The Witness, a black Christian collective where he writes about faith and culture. Timothy, it's so good to have you here. Man, I am pumped. To be back. Are you are you in the, are you interested begged, in Marvels? I begged David <laughs> to do an episode over Marvel or just the Avengers, and I'm really excited that he did it. So thank yeah, you, David. You're welcome. I appreciate man. it. I made it happen. Yes, <laughs> man. I'm so glad you're back. Is this something you care about? Is that why you wanted to be here? <laughs> he a hate, little bit. He hates okay. it a little bit. What's of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe? So when we're talking about MCU, for those who don't know, this is 22 movies over like 11 years, something like that. Something like that. That stack up from Iron Man one all the way to Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. which is all these that, that were created by Disney. There are other Marvel movies out there, but created by Disney. Which one is your favorite in there, <sighs> Timothy? You can't. You can go with character. I can give you my least favorite. Okay, good. The Hulk. Oh yeah, the Edward Norton one. Yes, yes. Is that part of the MCU? Unfortunately, it's like the second second one. I think you're right. I had to rewatch it. And it's not even as bad as the Eric Bana one that came out before that. Oh, that was so bad. I have a soft spot in my heart for that movie. Well, you're angry, baby. Angry. I knew it. So bad. But anyway, go ahead. Unfortunately, it's an artsy It would have to be the Hulk, but. I mean, the Captain America series, the so you know, good. that trilogy is really good because, like you said, I, I like stories that are steeped in realism. Yeah. Um, so that one is really, those are really good. And obviously Black Panther, I mean, that movie just stands alone as its own movie. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I like all of them because they all tell yeah. a different story and, you know, just a different degree. So I, 
I can't I can't give you just one. I'm sorry. No, that's great. Adam and David, are you guys weighing into this, or are we going to be talking foreign language to you guys today? Oh, I'll weigh in, baby. Uh, yeah. You're going to weigh I'm in. I'm weighing in. I'm weighing in. Not okay, as good. big of an expert as Timothy here, but I'll weigh I'm in. I'm not an expert. I'm a fan. <laughs> what, perc- <laughs> <laughs> what percentage of these movies do you think you've seen, David? Have you seen all of them? No. Probably okay. about half. Probably about half? Yeah. Did you see the second Thor, the one with the dark elves? Uh, that's my least favorite. No, I didn't see that one. I did not like that one. Mm. But I really like, I I mean, there's a bunch that I really like, but the third Thor one, Ragnarok, yeah. oh, that was just Everybody, awesome. Yeah. Talk about I a great director. So funny. Yeah. It was excellent. It really changed the trajectory for that whole character. But Guardians of the Galaxy I get into, Ant-Man and Wasp, some of the side, like, not Avengers properties, I still get into those too. Yeah. And those are awesome. Well, before we talk about Marvel Cinematic Universe more in depth specifically, let's talk about superheroes more generally. Uh, talk to me about what is the origin of the superhero. Adam, you've got some notes here about what is. Adam, talk to us about the origin of the superhero. Maybe... I don't know. You got some notes <laughs> right there. You got some notes there. I'm joking, I'm joking with Adam Come because on. Timothy has written down some notes here, and I was hoping that Adam would just steal his notes on the origin of the superhero. Adam. Or Adam, sorry, Timothy, tell us a little bit about the origin of superheroes. Yeah, Where does so, this come from, buddy? So I looked it up, and, uh, you know, personally, I don't have a big background in as far as, like, my childhood with, like, just digging deep in the superheroes. So I did a little bit of research, and I kind of know I also have a social studies uh, degree. So um, I knew that, you know, superheroes kind of really got their big start um, – I feel like in, in as far as the American idea of a superhero during war, World War II, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it was used for propaganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Superman, uh, so in terms of, you know, the fame costume superhero, uh, Superman, uh, which is part of DC, and also Green Lantern, and uh, characters like that, and then obviously Captain America, which is part of the topic of which, what we're talking about today, uh, really got its start um, back in the 40s. Um, and so as far as, you know, the origin of the superhero, I don't know that for sure. Like, I t- I'm not an expert. But I think what's so funny about that is, like, the first superhero is this guy with all the powers. You know, we're like, yeah. what if he could see through Ooh. things and yeah. he can shoot lasers out of his eyes, he can freeze things, he can fly, he's super strong, super fast. And you go, well, where? if they had been thinking at that time, like, where are we going to go from there? We just created a guy that cannot be beat no matter what. Luckily, they they work in a weakness there, but now, it's interesting. Now, there's a, because I know we're not talking about DC, but I did read a really interesting uh, comic by, for Superman, uh, and it's called, um, uh, it's eluding me right now, Red Something. Okay. Anyways, the whole story, it, it's flipped. Instead of Superman being a U.S. Uh, superhero, he's uh-huh. a Russian superhero. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. And so all of the, a lot of the Russian uh, communist ideals and things like that, he sort of takes over Russia, and um, you know you kind of get to see the flip, the the script flipped a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and that's really interesting. So and since we're talking about Superman, that was really yeah. really. And you brought up DC, and let's let's just make it clear real quick for anybody who's not really into the Marvel and DC world superhero world. There are kind of two big players in the game, right? There's Marvel, and uh, David name some Marvel characters, superheroes for me. Marvel, that mm-hmm. would be Spider Man. Uh huh. That would be the Hulk. That yeah. would be Iron Man. Good. Um, Captain America, Excellent. Captain Marvel, Black Panther. 
X-Men would be another big property yes. of theirs. Yeah, Fantastic <laughs> Four. Those are all good. Avengers. You passed. Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, uh, I'm going to quiz you here, Adam. Give me DC. What are some examples of some DC superheroes? Sorry to DC fans out there, but besides probably Superman and Batman. Yep. And maybe Wonder Woman, the list starts to get kind of sad. It's <laughs> like Aquaman. Aquaman. Robin. Not a fan. Yeah. Don't forget no. about Robin. Robin's Robin. cool. And like uh, Teen Titans, that's pretty yeah. rad. Uh, yeah. So I'm it's into funny. that. Yeah, You're into funny. that? Why do you think our culture loves superheroes? It sure seems like every movie they put out is a blockbuster, whether it's good or not. I... I wonder if even thinking about the origin, if I can wax philosophical for mm, a minute. This is your job. Um, but if you think about it, I think uh, we've always been telling these stories, mm. it seems to me, right? Like if you go back, think <laughs> Come on, go ahead, Beowulf. <laughs> if you think, yeah. <laughs> okay, I knew you were But I'm there. serious. Okay. Like if yep. you think about are the Greek heroes and Hercules and all these kind of, I mean, like think Odysseus. of the figures. The, yeah, the, the, the mythology, Achilles, like these guys, it's sort of larger than life. Many times they sort of come from the outside. Even Achilles, like his dad is, or, or Hercules too, like they're maybe somebody's mortal and somebody's a god. And right. they come together and they have this kid and this kid sort a of- A Nephilim. Shows, yeah, a Nephilim basically <laughs> for all you theology nerds out there. Uh, but they come together and, and, and there's some sort of, um, yeah, they're, they're, the superhero is- also kind of represents humanity from the outside. It's a way of looking at ourselves from like a bird's eye or even God's Good. eye view too. Uh, and you see these heroes and you see their rise and sometimes tragic falls. And that story, I mean, it's that is a story that's told over and over and over again yeah. throughout history. So You know what's fascinating to me on that point? While we're waxing intellectual before we get into the meat of the Marvel Cinematic Universe specifically is – it seems like in most of these comic books or these comic ideas, these superheroes, there are a ton of compelling heroes. There's a ton of compelling heroes. Some of them are flawed. Some of them are basically perfect Boy Scout-like superheroes. The supervillains that people have been able to come with don't seem that compelling. Like, it's harder for a Marvel movie even now to come up with a compelling villain that has a compelling um, uh, mission that really wants to accomplish something that needs to be overcome by heroes. But what's fascinating to me is that in that is that in the real world, if you really gave people superpowers, do you think they would be more likely to use their power altruistically? Like, I'm just here to help everyone. Or wouldn't it be much more likely that if you gave some people, a select few people, power over others, that it would lead to oppression widespread? It would lead to self-indulgence for those people. And more likely than not, if we gave power, it would corrupt people who had it. Well, I mean, I think that's fascinating because if you look at the the story of the world, I think I don't even think it's a balance. I think most because of what we believe theologically. Yeah, uh, total depravity. Total depravity. I yep. think, I mean, our Savior empties himself of power. Right. You know, it's kind of interesting to think about that. So often I think even with Jesus, we can sort of view him as a superhero, but uh, he had all the power and then condescended and became powerless. Yes. And then his great triumphal act is to let the cross conquer him. So which doesn't it say something about our kind of... Um, a depraved nature that we love a story where somebody gets all the power and they use it in a good way. Yeah. When we know like uh, that just would not be the reality, but yeah. we have a, a savior who gave, who had all the power gave it up in order to save, yeah. who was willing to be the weak one in order to give those who are weak strength. Man, y'all in here preaching. Come on, man. Wait a minute. This was the plot. This <laughs> yeah. is the plot of Black Panther. Y'all got me. Y'all got me. Which is why, which, but I think you're getting at the fact that that's why people like superheroes, yeah. right? The world is cynical. It's broken. Yes. And there's not a lot of hope. 
And so even in these flawed sort of anti-hero superheroes, and there are a lot of them even within the Marvel universe. I mean, like mm-hmm. Iron Man's a great example of that. Um, even in their flaw, fl- and even amidst their flaws, people still there's an appeal to them. There's like some sort of like sense of hope that maybe there's something out there, something that could be. Yeah. I don't think people would tell you like externally in a conversation. That's why I go watch superhero movies. No. They would say I just like being entertained, but. I think there's somewhat, something inherent in, in everybody yes. that kind of wants that and longs for that. That's what I'm getting at. There's an inherent desire that we want to see someone do it right. We want to see someone have the power and do it right. That's what we have in Christ. And as much as we have kind of an anti-hero thing that we can talk through as well or a flawed hero idea, it, we really would not – they would not be blockbuster movies to see someone – where the movie ends with someone who used their power for their own gain and the world suffers and dies. Mm. They just people would not be into that. Even as uh, I mean, we're, are we doing spoilers in here? I mean, if you watch Infinity War, it does kind of end with the villain winning. It wins the the villain gets what he wants, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were not satisfied with that. But the only reason a mass amount of people I think were is because they know there's one more movie coming. Yeah. the story's not over yet. The heroes are still alive, and they're going to do coming? something. No, Endgame comes <laughs> oh. after that. Oh. Sorry, I might have. <laughs> 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 there are more, a lot more movies coming, but this first, the Infinity Saga, has concluded yep. with Spider-Man. Let's talk about MCU. Thank you for the segue, Adam. <laughs> the accidental. What's uh, what's unique about the Marvel superhero universe? I mean, DC we could talk about. We can talk about other superheroes. Shazam. No one mentioned Shazam. That's a new movie out right now, which I also did not enjoy, but that's beside the point. Kazam? Kazam? What's Kazam? Well, what's Shaq? Well, that's a real superhero movie. Okay, I'm sorry. That's a, I'm derailing. Okay, where does where does Marvel superhero universe come from? Like I said, I'm not an expert on all of these things, but I do know that you know Stan Lee, um, you know created the the him and somebody else uh, created the the Marvel comic strips, which was originally something else, and he was. Um, you know, creator of Spider-Man and things uh-huh. like that. And so that's about as far back as history because I just recently started kind of getting into uh, yeah. the Marvel scene in general. I still haven't steeped myself in X-Men and, and, and stuff like that. I know of it. I like him. Um, but for me, once I once I freed myself to just start indulging in, in these stories, mm-hmm. then I started just learning a lot more. That's so, good. I probably know less than you guys know. So it starts with a guy named Stan Lee and some of his crew, and they, they start with comic books. It eventually becomes some kind of Saturday morning cartoon shows, and, and now it's a whole movie universe. And some of them, the reason people like these on a deeper level is they have some social commentary inherent in them. In fact, if you follow X-Men and the story of the X-Men, which are stories of mutant superheroes, it's a story uh, that's supposed to reflect the racial tensions of America during the 60s, where you have uh, one leader who thinks what we need to do is, is militantly uh, come back as those who have been oppressed. We need to militantly come back, which is a Malcolm X character in a guy named, uh, what's his name, Magneto. And then you have a Professor X character who's supposed to be like a MLK character saying, no, through peaceful peaceful coexistence, the X-Men, these mutants can coexist. And then that's kind of the big, nice story arc. And then there's a bunch of just superhero stories in the midst of it. But Marvel has some play in our culture beyond that. Even Captain Marvel that just came out last year, when it first came out in the comics, it was a wink to the feminist movement. That's why her name was Ms. Marvel. And it was supposed to be about having a a feminist superhero. It was a a wink to Gloria Steinem uh, and her writings about uh, feminist literature. And and um, 
a Black Panther was also supposed to be a representation of uh, not the black power movement politically, but of a strong black character who was a king from Africa and kind of captured this uh, African power idea of what if a black person could also be strong. It certainly wasn't an altruistic, it certainly wasn't a Christian ideal, but there's a lot of ideas behind these things that people love to dig into. And if you only look at it on the surface, it seems like, oh, that's kid stuff. Or some people assume, like, oh, it's just cartoon work. But there's a deeper level to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, and I and think, it's one of the reasons I favor it over DC. Right, and I, I'm the same way because I think the, the unique thing about it in comparison, if we're comparing it to, to DC, is that it takes the world as we know it. Not just the idea of the world as we know it, but it takes actual places, people, um, and events, uh, and, and it gives a different story. Um, yeah. to those, uh, and, it, and it adds these characters to them. So what if, you know, Black Panther were to visit Oakland? What would that be like? What would that look like? What would it be like if uh, Captain America actually actually intervened in World, World War II? Yeah. Um, and so it gives us that creative imagination uh, to be able to think a little bit more free um, and not be bound by the constraints of our reality as I know it. Or as we know it, so. Yeah, no, no. I think I agree mostly in terms of it does. I, I think that the DC stuff, not although not executed very well, especially recent movies. Um, I mean, I, I still think that it's been getting after a lot of political and social commentary as well, especially like Christopher Nolan's yeah, Batman. The Batman trilogy. Yeah, I think he was taking on a lot of things, uh, sort of post nine eleven terror and. Um, uh, things happening in our world and trying to reconcile that with this idea of Batman. I just think that because they haven't been as executed right well, that's maybe and why. And I'm a fan of those three movies because they are more based in reality. The villains are very compelling because it seems like there's not just a straightforward, I want to be a bad guy and I want to be against Batman, but there's a compelling villain involved in those movies and the story's well told. And there is some social commentary there that it's it's lacking in kind of the campy version of cartoony Superhero films. So I'm looking forward to the the new Joker movie that's coming out. Where yeah. Walking you know, Phoenix? Yeah, no, not Dark Phoenix. The, no, Walking Phoenix plays the new Joker. Oh, 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 oh. Right? sorry. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I thought you were talking about Walking <laughs> Phoenix. No, like, <laughs> like no. The name of that movie is called Dark, Dark Phoenix. Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah, 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 yeah. That that movie, and um, you know, because it, I. I'm interested to see what they're going to do with that, you know, in, in terms of talking about villains. Yeah. And DC, I think, has always had some of the more compelling villains. Absolutely. Like, yeah, the Joker seems layered in a way that you, you name a Marvel uh, villain who you can get as layered as you do with a guy like the Joker, where you go, there's a madness to him. Yeah. And there's a, a, a maliciousness to those villains that is compelling, and you want to see more movies made out of that. Marvel still lacks that. Yeah. As much as Michael B. Jordan was an incredible villain in Black Panther, they already killed him off, and you're like, well, there's there's nothing more. Or there. did they? Or snap, maybe he's coming back. <laughs> well, maybe another universe. David uh, David doesn't like. He didn't like uh, Michael B. Jordan as you did I, not Killmonger. I, I love Michael B. Jordan okay. as an actor. One of my like favorite sort of young up and coming actors right now. But I felt like his performance was a little bit mediocre in Black Panther. As great of a movie as that was. It Controversy. Sometimes, no, I mean, this was, this was a pretty common critique. of the, Like, people who loved the movie, gave it a positive review, would say that Michael B. Jordan maybe wasn't on his A game the whole time, which is really? weird. Uh, I mean, because he's working with the same director that he's worked with with the... Uh, Creed. Yeah, Creed. So it's mm-hmm. like, you think that there would be some chemistry there. And maybe, like, 
I just miss that that's who his character was meant to be. Like this guy who was really trying to be something and it felt a little bit phony sometimes. But see, I loved I his, his story arc of having a father who was taken away from him and really a kingdom that was taken away from him and then wanting his whole life to prepare for a, a moment of vengeance against that kingdom. There's something a little more compelling than just, I want to get rich, so I'm going to rob yeah, somebody. That's his, his story is great. I think, mm. to defend David a little bit, I think that, some of some of the things that he did felt a little bit forced, contrived. Yeah, but overall, I like I liked it. Well, good. Personally. I'm glad you liked it, so. Timothy. Let's talk about the phenomenon that is now the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've mentioned it's been uh, nearly two dozen movies over ten years, and uh, it's yeah, something like fifty hours. Yes, fifty hours. Have you watched them all, Timothy? I've watched them all in chronological order. Oh, really? Not, not in the order that it came out. Oh. Adam, how are you enjoying that? It's amazing. Oh, you're, you're, do- you're watching them now? You're doing it right yeah. now? Yeah. I missed that somehow. Yeah, that's how I, why I haven't seen Endgame yet. Okay. It's because I wanted to What movie it. are you on? Oh, gosh. I have to go back and check. Check my list. Captain America. I don't know what's next. The first movie. <laughs> have I spoiled something have for you? Have you seen Age of Ultron yet? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Civil War, Age headway. of Ultron. Yeah. Um, is this a guy thing we're talking about today? Like, no. Ladies so, are into this? I got to give a shout out to my wife, and I made sure to put that in my notes in here, (laughs) because she usually calls me ridiculous (laughs) about a lot of things, but she did not call me ridiculous for this. Yeah. Uh, So whenever Infinity War came out, I took her to go see that, and she actually kind of got into that story. So the next year around, when I'm like, hey, they're about to come out with Endgame, you know, I'm thinking about watching all of these movies in chronological order, so... Three weeks leading up to Endgame, every night I had on a movie and she was sitting right there watching the majority of them with me. And not once did she call me ridiculous. So <laughs> thank you, Angela. Yeah, my wife and I went on a date night to see Ant-Man and Wasp and she really enjoyed it. It's a, one of the more comical yes. ones. So yes. it's a little more lighthearted for her. She doesn't get into the whole mythology of the whole storyline. Yeah. So she just wants to be entertained for and a couple I think hours. That's a, I think that's a good thing about it is you, you don't. You don't have to be. No, you don't. You can en- just enjoy the story. Each movie can stand alone, and there's a meta narrative that you can get into if you really want yeah. to. Yeah. And we'll talk more that, about meta I know that my wife has generally liked all the movies a little bit more than I have and has been like more compelled, like, hey, let's go see the latest Avengers movie versus I want to go see some weird art house movie or something. Good. <laughs> That's well, usually how our relationship You love <laughs> art house movies, though, right? Oh, I do. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So you love the indie movie that makes like $10,000. It could be the best movie of the year for you. <laughs> Let's talk about Avengers. It is, these are blockbuster movies. They make a lot of money. They appeal to people maybe that aren't as um, critical of films as maybe some of the indie film crowd. Do they have a broader appeal because they're not as smart a movie? Is it just kind of a money grab? Or do you feel like it's, man, there's there's more to it than that. There's some depth and some actual quality here that goes beyond just, uh, it's not Transformers and we're just throwing big robots and big explosions and trying to make money here. There's got to be more to it than that, right? No, I think I, I think these are pretty, not every single of Marvel movie has been good, but I think that these are generally have been good movies. You have to think about every, like, when you're learning film criticism, for example, or you're critiquing anything, a book, you have to think about genre, and you wouldn't expect a superhero movie as a genre to live in the same category as a drama or as a a comedy or romantic comedy. Like You have to judge it for what it's trying to do, what it is. And so for what they are, superhero movies, I feel like they've been really solid for the most part. And 
there is a mass appeal. I think generally you're going to find more people who are interested in this than some really sad movie with a Russian actor who no one knows and it's like ends really terribly ambiguously. Ambigu- ambiguously. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just making things up. But um, so there probably is a mass appeal to it as well. There's a franchise. There's certainly a money grab to it. I, I it just it's not an either or. I, I think that yeah. it's all of those things. Yeah, I heard when uh, when the first movie's made and um, what's his name Tony Stark, um, Robert Downey Jr. Thank you, Robert Downey Jr. is inviting Gwyneth Paltrow to be in it with him, and his his press on her was, "Don't you want to be in a movie that people will see?" Like she'd been in a lot of movies, and a lot of them had been well received by critical audiences. Mm. But he was like, don't you want to be in a movie where everyone will enjoy, that everyone will see? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think they tried to create in the MCU. Is like, here's a movie that everyone can go see and everyone can go enjoy. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to be nominated for Oscars every year for movie of the year. And I think the Oscar crowd is a little snobbier than they would be uh, appealed to the big action flick. They, that's not really their thing. Although, did you know that John Voight won Best Supporting Actor for City Slickers? Which to me seems a little bit... You know, it's a good movie, guess, but that is seem pretty weird? odd. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's, there's precedent. I would say though that even the Oscar community is an art house. It's different. Like you, yeah. can, you kind of know what movies are going to be nominated for the Oscar. They sort of have a different. Yeah, they like the period piece. Yeah. something historical drama. Yeah. Get Meryl Streep in some crazy role, being hamming it up. I don't know. That's what they like. They love that. I'm not cynical about it. <laughs> How many have you seen Endgame? You have not seen Endgame That's yet. Only, Adam yeah. Hawkins has not yeah. seen it. Timothy, you've seen it a couple times? Four times. Four times. David? Not yet. Oh my goodness. So we can't really talk about the end of Endgame. Uh, I don't but I don't sure care. you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Timothy, it. Timothy, did you think it was a satisfying end to twenty two movies? It was so satisfying. Mm, what was, was satisfying about it? Well, the fact that they, you know, could take that many movies over that many years and mm-hmm. then not only that, but just so many of the little intricacies of relationships and events that took place throughout those movies, and they were able to include it all in this one story. Um, I it just makes you really appreciate it a little bit more, um, especially the writing mm-hmm. and and just being able to put all of that together. Um, but then also too, I think that. You know, for for the argument that hey, it's just money grab, like they show that you can, with film, you can start a story and you can end a story. Yeah. So I don't feel like it's just like, hey, we just need to keep the Infinity Saga going for as long as possible. Yeah. They actually were able to close the book and say that this is the end of this. Yeah. Um. Now, obviously, are you going to make more movies? Well, yeah. You're a business. You're a company, and your business is storytelling. Yeah, making money doesn't have to be a mutually exclusive thing. Like Steven right. Spielberg has been the king of this. Yeah. He's created great artistic, creative movies throughout time. With broad that have, appeal. Yeah, that broad appeal that have made a lot of money. So it's not like those things have to be yeah, at odds. Absolutely. I so, do wonder. So you're right, and they they left themselves in a way that opens it back up to like wherever the next directors, wherever the next writers want to go, they're going to have freedom to do so. I, yeah. I think it's important to say because I don't know that we've said it yet that but that the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is sort of a closed universe right. of film that all take place within the same sort of storyline with same with, narrative, same mm-hmm. narrative. Yeah. and so it's I think it's important to know that. So like um, there are Marvel movies that have come out that don't 
take place within the universe. Correct. So, and what that means is basically maybe they're like alternative narratives or alternative histories or or dimensions. You know, I don't know how you want to place it, but well, and it's right. It's what you're talking about is is some of the business side of it, where there are different Marvel properties that are owned by different companies. So sure. the Marvel Cinematic Universe was created by Disney and made by Disney front uh, top to bottom. But there are Marvel movies made by Fox and Marvel movies made by Sony, yeah. depending on who owns what. And at, at one point, even in this, Spider-Man was used to be owned by Sony and still licenses some of those characters. But then uh, Disney licensed or opted it. And recently, Disney's also bought Fox, which means that X-Men and all the properties that say mutant in them are now going to be a Disney property. So they'll be able to bring those things into what is now the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where all the X-Men movies are made by other things. And the old Spider-Man movies, the Tobey Maguire and the Andrew Garfield, are made by a different company because business-wise... Disney doesn't own all yeah. the characters. But, yeah. but the, the important piece, I think, even over the business piece, is that those movies sort of talk to each other, if yes. that makes sense. They're all, like, you're, when you see a, uh, you know, when you see um, Civil War, when you see, you know, one of those films, they're going to make sense within the story of even Guardians of the Galaxy and even yes. some of these others. Whereas maybe, like, X-Men, it's not, it's not the no. same. What, are, the what same. are some of the ways... It all kind of comes together. Like, what are some of those elements that are woven through? Well, this is why I wonder if in a couple of years I'll still think it's a great movie. Like, I don't know if Endgame stands alone. Like, it is a very satisfying conclusion to a lot of movies. And it, so it hops around a lot to the different places they've been in the 10 mm -hmm. years of the cinematic universe. And so if you're a fan of all those movies, I think it's very satisfying to watch a lot of storylines story retouched and touched upon. But if you were only seeing Endgame, if you walked in it and you didn't know the rest of it, is it that satisfying? I don't know. It's a lot of the emotion of 22 movies and 22 <laughs> like movies of relationships where you're like, there that, that is where a lot of other movies. Me. That sounds yeah. brave to me that they would do that because, I mean, like, yeah, if it's not a film that stands on its own but is really, they were saying we're going to, it will let it sort of be the culmination of all these other films. Man, like, then you, I don't know that you can say that that's just a money grab. You know what I mean? Like, I no, think I don't it's think it is. I think it's a, for, I think it's a love letter to the fans to yeah, say yeah. this is this is the way we'll conclude this story. Yeah, and it's yeah. all been leading to this. Yeah, yeah. so my, my mom and her husband... They went to go see Endgame, and they really hadn't seen any of the other films, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, that movie was stupid. <laughs> I'm like, well, guys, you know, it's it's a part of a bigger story, and they're like, yeah, ah, yeah, we didn't like it. And I'm, and my, but my mom, she's like, well, there were a lot of good spiritual and biblical elements in there, like okay. like that red thing in there. He that wasn't nothing but the devil. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> like, well, yeah, I could kind of see that, but you know, his name is Red Skull, and he came in from Captain America story, and yeah, you know, she was like, oh, well, he's like the devil. So, like, All right, well, but let's talk about that for a second because it is it is a little like if you just watched Endgame, mm -hmm. it'd be like handing somebody and say, you should read the Bible. Start with Revelation. Yes, and you go, well, what what is great about Revelation is the rest to the Bible exactly. that leads up to that. Exactly. And we are like we are believers in a meta narrative that is true and right mm -hmm. and good that believes that a savior has come and will come again and we don't add um, advise people to just, hey, flip over your Bible and read anywhere. We believe there is a story and a narrative to it that makes sense if you understand certain elements. Yeah. And I think the same is true about Endgame and what's kind of beautiful about what they'll now call the Infinity Saga, which is this first version of the MCU that concludes now, is that it, you can see little bits and pieces of the story along the way that all connect at the end, but they stand alone on their own, which is very similar to the way we practice in the Christian church, where it's like you don't have to give the meta-narrative every week as mm -hmm. you're preaching in church 
church or as you're opening up your Bible to read, but it sure gives everything you're reading the context yeah. it needs. If you want to understand why this is happening and what it's saying, you have to understand Genesis to Revelation to and, a certain degree. And in the relationship. So like a, 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 one of my coworkers, he was... He was kind of criticizing me and, and kind of poking fun at me for watching all the Marvel movies. Um, but then he started watching them. And so he's been kind of keeping me updated. And he's like, oh, I didn't really like Civil War. And then I'm like, you know, it's some of the stories have to do just with the relationships. Yes. Um, and so you and then once you get to the end, it'll make more sense as to the reasons why they're interacting the way that they are. And so I think about that. Even with, you know, like you were saying with, with the Bible, if anything, what I think in-game helped uh, inspire me to want to go back and do now is go back and read numbers where I'm looking at all the different generations and, you know, this person was the son of this person and so on and so forth. And then I and and I have in mind at the end of all things when God, uh, you know, when when Jesus comes back and, and he makes everything new again. And so I can hopefully meet these people one day and think, hey, I remember reading about you and this is what you're actually like. Yeah. And, you know, and all these other different people, these characters in the Bible and maybe one day actually saying, hey, I remember reading about you and it's kind of cool. It would be like starting with the genealogy of Christ and not looking up who those people are. Reading the genealogy of Christ and understanding like, oh, Ruth and Boaz have a story to mm-hmm. be told that gives you a shadow of who Christ will be. And David, David has a story to be told. We call Jesus the son of David. Why? Why? And going back and reading his story, it gives good. context to who the Savior will be and how God's had a plan all along. That's and good. people might look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe and think, oh, they're kind of making it up as they go along. But the delight of the genius of something is when you can draw a story together that other people don't see the threads that are mm-hmm. being pulled together Together. But now in <clears throat> retrospect, you can look back and go, oh, in this case, in the MCU, it's like, oh, that was an Infinity Stone. Yeah. Oh, they were battling over something that eventually is going to make this huge impact on their universe. Yeah. But you didn't know that when you were watching Thor 2 right. and you're watching the red whatever that dust stuff was. <laughs> you didn't know that it was going to be this big part of something bigger. And the same might be true. We might save the Christian story that... Uh, that there's a desire for a greater story beyond myself. Yeah. David, this is kind of a theme in movies a lot, that there's a story bigger than the person involved, and they are part of it, that they're a character playing out their role in a bigger world story, but also for Christians. Do you think there's a, a desire for Christians to be part of a meta narrative, or do you think there's a, an inherent desire in people that there be a meta narrative, that they're part of something bigger than themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think that we've talked about that on the show before, but because we were created for this great meta narrative to be part of God's story and to join him in relationship with him, you know, originally for the creation mandate, you know, to to cultivate the earth and um, to grow something with God, you know, um, as the creature and not the creator, but in that Good. relationship, um, that that's what we were all created for. And I think that that's in our every inch of us. I think that's in our heart and our soul, our DNA, and everybody feels that. And they try to attach themselves to other meta narratives in the world um, other than the Christian story, the Christian meta narrative. And that's why we like movies like this, because it's a meta narrative and people know that there's something unique about that and they feel a specific tie to it, which makes it really interesting that this is sort of like what we were going to talk about in this next part. I, I think it's fascinating that people are so drawn to superheroes and sort of the meta narrative right now when with deconstructionism, postmodernism, relativism, and I'm sure Adam has thoughts on this, 
that was like the resistance of the meta meta narrative, saying like all meta all meta narratives are false. There's they're subjective. There's not a true meta narrative. I'm curious of how that sort of coexists with this world that loves superheroes and seems to be saying something different. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I think back to, I can't remember which show it was we did, but um, the argument was basically that uh, we don't just live in the wor- in a world of, of, of sort of relativity when it comes to truth anymore, because then there was still a truth claim. So yep. in, in a relative culture, you're saying, um, well, maybe that meta-narrative is good for you, but yeah. it's not good for me. Or it's true for you, it's not true for me. At least there was an ascent to truth. But now, like this is Charles Taylor's argument and some of these other people, now it's not just that. Uh, now it's not about an ascent to truth. It's it's an agnosticism. It's saying there's so many stories. There's so many meta narratives. I don't even really want to choose one anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, what what I'll just say is that they're all out there. And so now what I'll appeal to is feeling or this or that. And so you get it. We don't have to run down that road. But I think what you see in the in the superhero, especially when you think of the timing, it comes after. I remember reading an article that um, all these sequels were coming out and superhero movies were coming out right after. 9-11 so 9-11 happens and then you have like you I mean uh, Harry Potter and some of these other movies yeah. were sort of already taking place but you see Star Wars and you see these films and then you see the superhero movies coming out and there was this sense of people wanted to hang on to something maybe familiar but I think the meta narrative people are longing for something deeper and what's strange is I think what the fascination with a, a Marvel cinematic universe that spans over 22 films and is able to catch a really broad audience not just a bunch of nerds you know but really those nerds and everybody else right uh, shows I think that people aren't really buying while while maybe in the everyday uh, they're buying into this agnosticism about truth I think they're really actually yearning it it points to something deep within us where we're actually really yearning for a unified theory of all things do you know what I'm saying sure come yeah, on yeah, bro I think so. come yeah. on I'm preaching hey before we, before we conclude is there anything there's so many movies here any and a lot of them actually had some allusions to uh, Christian thinking or or like uh, things we would pull out and say that's that's true of Christianity. Anything that you think of from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're like yeah, that was a uh, a Christ type role, or that was a uh, a truth for Christians that we could hold on to from those movies that would be true of our culture. Anything pops out for you guys mm-hmm. from any of the movies? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I won't go with Endgame because I don't want to. For how much you guys say you don't care about it being spoiled for you. I care. <laughs> but I, I, I want sa- to sacrifice for the, the good of the audience yeah, to hear the conversation. That's what I was... Yeah. But, they, but if that's the only thing that I'm going to say, then I'm not going to say okay, it. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> because I think that it is that important for you guys to watch. So, well, especially with what I'm doing right now. Especially <laughs> for what you're doing right now. Um, but uh, so I think about... So I wrote an article uh, about uh, Black Widow. Uh, and her role, mm-hmm. and and being Natasha Romanoff, and yeah. uh, just to kind of see how her character starts. Uh, she she kind of looks like she's gonna. I think it's in Iron Man two. She starts off like she's just gonna be this singular, sexualized, overly sexualized character. Um, but over the course of the films that she's featured in, she turns into this more complex person that you get to learn about. Uh, and you understand, you know, she doesn't she doesn't have a family. She doesn't know who her father and mother is. And 
uh, you start to see this yearning in her f- for family. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the Avengers gives gives her, um, that piece of her that she feels like is missing. Um, and so, and I'm just now starting to realize that what I'm about to say is going to spoil the end game. Just but, keep going. So one of the things that happens in Endgame is she ends up sacrificing herself. So, yeah. um, you know, so, yeah, take that <laughs> off. <laughs> Adam just walked Adam. out of the studio. <laughs> uh, she, sac- she sacrifices herself for one of the stones, for one of the Infinity yeah. Stones. Um, and just the back and forth struggle between her and Hawkeye trying to determine who's going to be the person uh, to do that. Um and see that embodied in a female character as well, too, I think um, gives a sort of a, a different uh, type of story. But there's a I mean, the entire story is about sacrifice. Right. right. Uh, and so that's what we cling to as as Christians, because Jesus is has paid the ultimate sacrifice, obviously. And um, that's the reason why we love him so much. And that's the reason why we celebrate that story every year. Yeah. Uh, we celebrate his birth and we celebrate his death and we celebrate his resurrection and ascension. And people love superhero stories where the superhero will sacrifice themselves for other people because it ties us back to the gospel. It's the true story that we have. I think there's some even overt, if you've ever watched Age of Ultron and just look for biblical metaphor or biblical mentions, there's a lot of overt biblical illusions in that movie. Hmm. Even as they try to create the vision, which is supposed to be this perfect version of humanity, and some of his first words are, they're asking him who he is, and he says, I am... Yeah. I am. Yeah. And he talks about, and they kind of portray him as this perfect figure who eventually in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, again, sacrifices himself to try to save humanity, yeah. to say he's going to be the perfect version of us and who doesn't make mistakes. And there are some of those things like that in Marvel. But I want to be cautious to say, hey, Marvel is, they're certainly not Christian movies. They're certainly not uh Christian, overtly Christian, but I think no matter who you are writing a story, you're going to latch on to what humans desire and what we know because of what we know in the gospel is that Mm. humans desire to be rescued by someone powerful because they know the world needs to be different. There's a desire in us that says the world is not as it should be and somebody should do something about it. Yeah, Yeah. maybe this is one of the more overt examples and is obvious, but I, I think you had the you were getting at this earlier, Timothy, but just the example of the church, too. You had this uh, group of sort of misfits, this group mm. of people who are all given different superpowers, have different gifts, come from different backgrounds, having to work together for the greater good of something. So, I yeah. mean, I think that that's the thing you see over and over in this whole Marvel Cinematic Universe is that that picture. It's not a complete picture of the church, although the church is pretty messy, so maybe it is a, a pretty accurate picture. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I definitely think you see that, the body, you know, the hands, the feet, the all the different parts working together for something bigger than themselves. And there's a lot of little redemption stories in there. A lot of the characters go through kind of a, a brokenness and a broken period and need to be redeemed. And I think that's part of what we look for in, uh, in our own stories, is that mm-hmm. something inside me can be redeemed so I can be who I'm called to be in order to be part of what, in reality, we're called to be part of what the Lord is doing to rescue the world. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website. Today's episode was produced by David Rourke and edited and mixed by Chris Starrett. Let me tell you, if you like Culture Matters, you can go and rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts, and we would love that. If you do not like Culture Matters, please don't rate us, don't review us, stay away from us. You don't have to listen. We'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks for listening.